Welcome to the Fun Ideas Podcast. I just wanted to say a little word about Bobby Rydell, whom I interviewed in 2021 for this very podcast. He passed away on April 5th, 2022, but he was a pleasure and a delight when I interviewed him. If you do get a chance to look him up on episode 114, uh, you'll see what I mean. And he will be missed. And also, if you get a chance to check out Bye Bye Birdie, very good film. And it has the wonderful Dick Van Dyke and Anne Margaret, who are still with us. And now, on with the show. Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 158. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Lee's Comics. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. You remember them from your childhood. Half for the Friendly Ghost, Richie Ridge, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad Sack and Little Audrey. You read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and the Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One, by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross Bagdasarian plunged the last of his family savings on a multi-speed tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. It changed the fortunes for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian, Liberty Records, 
Format Film and the Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions is available from Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copy today. You can now order my latest book, the TTV Scrapbook, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Bear Manor Media. If you'd like signed copies of this or any of my books, please email me at funideas.mark at gmail.com for further information on how to order directly from me via PayPal. I now have three super articles to write for Back Issue, Super Richie, Super Dagwood, and Super Fan. My Pac-Man book is the next to be coming out, and I'm still working on my Mad and Turtles books. Warren Kremer is due out eventually, as is my next Disney book. On today's show, we have the second part of my interview with the original basis for Paul Revere and the Raiders. Here he is, Phil Fang Volk. <laughs> Paul Revere, in 1963, released Louie Louie right. as a 45 on Columbia, and it sold 350,000 copies in the Northwest, completely outsold the Kingsman. We recorded that song in the same studio in the same week, and uh, that was up in the Northwest. And then Columbia, Columbia released it. Okay, hey, Columbia released the record, and uh, but you know the the Kingsmen get the credit for the hit, right? But the reason they got the hit is because the FCC or the FBI or some agency reviewed the record and said it was vulgar and it had yeah. vulgar lead or lyrics and it should be banned from the radio. Well, that news got out and all the kids wanted to buy a copy to hear the dirty lyrics. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
what's ironic, the Kingsman version was the original la- lyrics. The Raiders version has the dirty lyrics. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Mark used to like to do that, you know? Yeah. Mark uh, used to like to insert some little innuendo kind of lyrics, yeah. a little bit racy, a little bit vulgar. Right. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was the Raiders version. Yeah. So here's the deal. Here's what I'm getting to. 1963, Mark, I mean, Paul Revere is in his nightclub, the Crazy Horse, mm-hmm. where, where Drake and I finally played. We were Sir Winston's trio, and then we got a drummer, and we became the surface, and we played in his club. Mm-hmm. But when we saw him that night playing with the Raiders, he was very sad that the kids didn't show up. It wasn't a big crowd. He pulled up a four. He said, I got the number one hit record in the country, and I can't fill this club. Mm-hmm. And it was Louie Louie. Now, why did he say the number one record? You know why? Mm-mm. Because there was two magazines that posted the top 100, Cashbox and, and Billboard. Billboard. Yeah. Billboard only lists the Kingsman as the number one hit, Louie Louie. Cashbox, Louie Louie, Kingsman, Paul Revere and the Raiders. We were both listed because we had such great sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we like I said, we outsold the Kingsman in the Northwest. And they, we got a lot of airplay on that record. Mm-hmm. You know, they were played alongside each other. Sometimes there was a Louis Louis festival and there was, there, there was a contest, you know. Right. Radios, had, radios had a lot of fun with that song. And because yeah. we made it famous first in our dances, the Kingsmen recorded it after they heard what a great reception we got mm-hmm. with the kids on that song at the dance halls. Kingsmen yeah. used to come to our dances and stand in front of the stage and watch the Raiders, right? Wow. It was very common for guys to watch us. Mm-hmm. They loved our antics. They loved the innuendos. They mm-hmm. loved the movement. They loved the sweat. They loved everything. <laughs> of course, you know, the girls liked it too, but guys were really fascinated with the Raiders because mm-hmm. we, weren't, uh, we weren't Philly. We yeah. were really kick-ass. We were, we were right. masculine alpha yeah. males up there, really kicking butt. Right. So, and the guys liked that. And so... To, to kind of drive this point home, I don't want to forget this story. This is before I was in the band, and the Raiders are playing, uh, like, I think it's called the Spanish Castle mm-hmm. up near Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, and Drake was new in the band, but he was putting on his show. And he was playing the guitar down on his knees, and he put it behind his back. Uh-huh. And he, he was doing and steps, and he was just kicking butt mm-hmm. and really putting on his show. And... He, was, he noticed that there was a, a black kid out mm-hmm. in the front row, right in front of the stage, watching his every move. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and Drake kept performing on his knees, behind his back. And, and finally, the, the, the dance was over, and the black kid stuck around to meet Drake. Mm-hmm. So Drake's putting his guitar away, and this black kid kind of humbly walks up to him, and he says, Hey, man, you are really a great guitar player. You really inspired me. Mm. He says, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. What's your name? He says, Jimi Hendrix. Wow. <laughs> is that amazing? And, and a few years later, we see him at the Monterey Pop Festival playing behind his back. Right, right. Playing on his knees and doing all the stuff that he got from Drake. Yeah. Well, Drake had a huge influence on some pretty major people, you know. Right. Drake was a great player. He was... Uh, yeah. He was, a, he was an artist. He, had, he was soulful. Yeah. Nothing that came out of that guitar was wasted. Yeah. You know, it, was all, it was all very tasty. And the fact that Jimi Hendrix got inspired by Drake Levin 
I think that's quite a big feather in, in Drake's hat. Yeah. It's 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 interesting how Hendrix kind of figures into a lot of stories, um, and and is just around. And it's amazing he lived such a short life because I re- I recently watched a documentary about Chicago, particularly uh, Terry Kath, and yeah. uh, he uh, met uh hendrix backstage i think they were still called the big thing then and he got compliments from hendrix too on his guitar playing and he everything. wasn't the cat that killed himself was he yes it was yeah oh, yeah yeah and, but he's like an incredible guitarist and everything it's a yes. good documentary if you can find it it's, was on, he it's the on one that did that solo in 25 or 6 to 4 yeah, yeah that's him yeah. love it <laughs> yeah when I, when i when i heard that song i called yeah. paul revere or ran to him i said paul Listen to this song by Chicago. We got to do something like this. And, you know, uh, Paul loved it, too. Yeah, it was yeah. one of the best rock tunes of the day. Yeah. But if we fast forward, if you don't mind, I, I yeah. just like to yeah. dovetail yeah. this other Hendrix story sure, sure. Into, into the old Hendrix story mm-hmm. when he was complimenting Drake. So mm-hmm. fast forward. Now I'm in the Raiders. Me and Drake are in the Raiders. And we're famous. And uh, we had left the Raiders. Mm-hmm. 1967 and in 1968 Hendrix was playing the whiskey a go-go <laughs> but he wasn't the uh, headliner it was it was Lee Michaels mm-hmm. you know the keyboard player yeah and, and Lee Michaels is a good friend of ours mm-hmm. and so me Smitty and Drake the brotherhood right we were recording now we had RCA Victor as our label and we were getting ready to release a record and we've been working you know for months on it and um, we had all this gear at the studio. We, we put uh, studio instrument rental into business. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know of SIR. They're a studio instrument rental. Okay. And um, so anyway, we, we were the first band to rent gear from them. Mm-hmm. We rented Hammond organs and drums and mm-hmm. amplifiers and everything. And now they're national, you know, yep. Yep. SIR. So anyway um, – we go to see Lee Michaels, and lo and behold, he brings Hendrix on stage to jam with him. <laughs> now, this is wall-to-wall people. We're all next to other bodies, and as the crowd's moving, the whole crowd moves. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because the groove is so amazing. And Hendrix was up there just, just soloing, and then Lee Michaels and Frosty, Bartholomew Frost on the drums, and it, it was just wild. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? They wouldn't stop playing. Mm-hmm. Uh Two o'clock. <laughs> Pub is supposed to close by two. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to run the crowd out. No more. You know, it's finished. Two o'clock. And so Mario, the owner of the whiskey, gets up there on the steps of the stage and looks at Michael and goes, <laughs> two o'clock. It's two o'clock. <laughs> and, and and they didn't care. They just kept playing. So they let him go for another 15 minutes. Suddenly Mario pulls the plug. They're, they're like, oh, they're boo. <laughs> <laughs> and all the all the power and the crowd is like in shock yeah. because the crowd was grooving it. The lights were flashing. All the lights went away. We just had, you know, regular lights, you know, mm-hmm. regular bright lights for the janitors, you know, so they <laughs> could clean up and, and everything. All the magic stopped. Hmm. So Drake and I ran on stage because Lee was a good friend of ours. And we said, hey, Lee, Jimmy. Because Jimmy respected Drake because he had met Drake yep. earlier in his life in 1964, you know. <laughs> and so I think this was 68. We said, listen, we have a studio full of gear, amplifiers, two sets of drums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hendrix's 
band was with him, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell. They were all there, but everybody's pretty stoned. But uh, Hendrix still had it together. So we said, why don't you come over to RCA Victor? Now, this was like 2.30, in the morning. We finally got all our stuff together and our the equipment, and we we drove over to RCA, which was down in Hollywood, about five miles. Mm-hmm. We, we got to the studio, and the, the problem was it was nighttime. No one was in the building except one security guard. Mm-hmm. And so here's all these wild hippies. We're slightly stoned. And we said to the security guard, all right, listen, we're going to bring a bunch of people in here uh, to do some jamming in our studio. We're brother. We, we're, we're signed RCA. He says, no, man, I can't let you in. This, this is everything's, everything's closed. I, I said, well, I think, I think our, our, our engineer is going to come down too. Hank McGill was, uh, was our engineer. And he said, well, I don't think so. I said, oh, listen, man, we got Hendrix. Got Jimi Hendrix coming down. It's going to record it. Lee Michaels, man, these are, these are huge cats in rock and roll. You can't turn us away. We, we're, we're recording artists with RCA Victor. <laughs> And he says, okay, so here comes a whole parade. Not only Lee Michaels and Jimi Hendrix and his band, all the brotherhood, me, Drake, and Smitty, and Ron Collins. But somehow, some other cats heard about this, and they were following right behind. All these, wa- all these wannabe guitar players. So about, a, so about another t- 10 guys come marching in after us. And so now we're in the studio. And Hank, our, our engineer, said, no, man. We woke him up. It was like 3 in the morning. No, man, I can't come down there. I'm, I'm in bed. I can't do that. Sorry. So we figured, well, we're, it would have been great to have it recorded, you know. Mm-hmm. So we get into the studio. We had all the amps we needed, two drum sets and uh, B3 Hammond organs, nice stuff. And so Jen, Hendrix take, gets his guitar. He's left-handed, isn't he? Got to do this. <laughs> and so he's playing and riffing. I'm playing a bass. And Smitty's playing one of the drum sets, Bartholomew Frost on the other one, Frosty. And, you know, it's getting loud. It gets really loud. But everybody's got everything turned up to 10, you know, <laughs> very loud. And then plus all these other extra guitar players are plugged in. And they're jamming with us. And pretty soon it's just like blood curdling on, on, the, ear, on the eardrums. And all these guitar players were were wanting to impress Hendrix. Wow! <laughs> and one by one, they would walk up to him and they would do one of their guitar. One, you know, they would do a, a guitar like and try to impress. And Hendrix would would nod his head and kind of walk the other way. And sure enough, another guy would come this way. You know, and Hendrix would go, yeah, he nod his head, walk away. Finally, he walks over to me <laughs> i'm playing bass mm-hmm. i'm not going to compete with him and so he stands right next to me in front of my bass amp with his back to everybody and he just plays there oh wow okay and then all of a sudden he kind of like it does a kind of a start and his, his pick got broken <laughs> and so you know I'm, I'm trying to keep some sound going he says hey man you got another pick i said yeah so I dug out one of my one of my Moshe picks. Uh, now these are these are bass picks, mm-hmm. and these these are the greatest picks because his pick broke, right? Mm-hmm. So he needed a pick that wouldn't break. So I gave him this pick. Mm. Can you see that? Yeah, they don't make him anymore, but it's called Moshe, uh-huh. and I, I I fell in love with these, and I've ordered hundreds of them, so I have a supply. So when they did go out of business, I still had 
So I handed him this, and he looked, oh, wow, man. I said, yeah, it's got a skin grip. It's got a little yeah. hole. Yeah, and yeah. It, the nylon, they never break. Hmm. And so he played the rest of the jam till about 5 in the morning with my Moshe pick. <laughs> and so everybody finally decided it was over, and the music faded away, and everybody was tired, and everybody was kind of stoned. Uh, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell didn't even play. They were just too... You know, wiped. <laughs> you wiped out. So they just stood and smoked some more joints and, you know, listened to all the loud, loud music. And uh, I don't know how it sounded, but everybody was, was playing the best they could play. And it was loud. I, I would have loved to have had a recording of some of, of course, that to, yeah. to see what we did. Right. So anyway, to make a long story short, Hendrix walks up to me after the music stopped and everybody put their instruments away. He walked over and said, hey, man, here's your pick back. I said, no, man, you keep it. You might, <laughs> like, you might like it, and they don't break. And he goes, oh, wow, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. And he said, I just want to tell you, I loved your bass playing. You've got a great groove. You really laid wow. down a nice pocket. And I thought, oh, thank you. We shook hands, and that was the last. Well, no. I wasn't the last I saw him because we went to one of his recording sessions. Okay. The last you played with him then. Yeah. yeah that's the last time I played live with him. Mm -hmm. But then we, then we went to, we, he was in town mm -hmm. to record. So we went to a studio where he was recording and they were doing one take after the other. Mm -hmm. They would play for 30 seconds. No, no, no. It's got to go like this. And he, he would tell his guys, mm -hmm. I want, I wanted to accent this or I want this chord here. And, they were just making it up out of their heads as they were playing, you know, mm -hmm. and, and all their stuff was live, mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, we, we, uh, that was kind of tedious actually, because they kept going over and over the same section of the song. And I don't know if they ever got it, yeah. you know, by the time we left, but, uh, that was the last time I, I had, uh, uh, any, any contact with him. <laughs> and I, I really appreciated the fact that he was humble. Yeah, he was nice to me. He he gave me a great compliment. Mm -hmm. He gave Drake Levin a great compliment way back <laughs> in 1964 mm -hmm. at the Spanish Castle when he said that Drake inspired him. Yeah, and so Drake and I both had uh, great experiences with this, uh, you know, uh, iconic, uh, beautiful, wonderful man, this guitar player that we both loved and respected. So on the Brotherhood album, mm -hmm. uh, this is just a little information, some insight. You're going to hear guitar guitar work that Drake literally stole from Hendrix. <laughs> he, he, he literally did licks and it did, they had yeah. that edgy sound and, you know, and everything that Hendrix did, Drake loved. So we incorporated some of that guitar work into, uh, the, the Brotherhood songs. If you, do you have any Brotherhood albums? I do not. I need to get some. But um, the question because I have about that is, uh, are the Brotherhood albums kind of like where you would have taken the Raiders had they... Exactly. Okay. That's, that's what I thought. Okay. Exactly. And, and, okay. and, and, and the, the messages were relevant. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was all rock. It was all heavy, mm -hmm. great stuff, rock mm -hmm. and roll. And some was a little thematic, like the yeah. Beatles, Sgt. Pepper. We did a few thematic songs. But by the most part, it was just down in the trenches, rock and roll, great pocket, great groove, you know, and uh, no nonsense. And you did like four albums, is that right? Something we did like three. That? We three, did, okay. Yeah, three. Okay. We did okay. three albums, and uh, 
uh, on the on the th- second Brotherhood album, we were down to a power trio because Smitty left the band, mm. mm-hmm. and when Smitty left, we lost the keyboard player because mm-hmm. he got he got kind of fed up with me and Drake arguing all the time. <laughs> Drake, and I, Drake and I used to argue quite a bit, uh, and Smitty would just sit there. You know, twiddling his fingers to saying, you guys are wasting time. We could have been recording songs right now. Yeah, yeah. Drake and I were both opinionated <laughs> and we lock horns a lot. But, you know, we loved each other. Yeah. And and on the second, uh, especially on the second uh, Brotherhood album, he used a lot of those, that Hendrix tone mm. on songs like California Dreamin'. Mm. We did a hard rock power trio, Jimi Hendrix influenced version of California Dreamin'. Mm. If you get the Brotherhood album. Play that one. Okay. All the leaves are brown And the sky is
also did a Beatles song called When I Get Home. Mm-hmm. Whoa, I, whoa, I, I got a whole lot of things to tell her when I get home, you know. You know, they put it out as a CD now. Brotherhood is available on CD. Right. 
Yeah, all, I all, three, that. all three of our albums. I noticed two, that. Yeah, yeah. two were brotherhood brotherhood albums. One is a psychedelic album that we did with a lot of our friends, mm. and it's and it's called Joyride. Mm-hmm. It's not even. It's called Friend Sound Joyride, and and we have Brotherhood running the show, but we had all our musical friends in the studio jamming with us, and we did a lot of uh, psychedelic effects and and tricks and uh, you know kind of Frank Zappa stuff and oh, cool. wild stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, psychedelic. We sold that album to RCA Victor for like <laughs> twenty five hundred bucks. You know, just enough to pay the studio bill. And uh, because it was it was too far out, it wasn't radio friendly, you know, but it was it was uh, ahead of its time. Yeah, it was. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Ahead of its time. It was. uh, 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 (laughs) Now, now that's all I'm thinking of is ahead of its time. But, uh, but, uh, you know, I know what you mean. Exactly. Kind of like prophetic. It was uh, it was uh, seeing into the future. Yeah, uh, where where a lot of groups uh, got influenced by it, and they wanted to do a psychedelic album like that. Yeah, and it, it never became mainstream though. Yeah, because it was too far out. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, the guys played psychedelic music, but uh, even Jefferson Airplane were known to have played some psychedelic music, but that yeah. was still songs and rock and roll. This right. was this was like John Cage and Wilhelm Stockhouse. <laughs> Wow, this I have is, to dig this up. Okay, because I am a Zappa fan and I am an airplane okay. fan too. So I mean, it's like I I know what you what it probably would sound like. You know, I can envision. Oh, it's it's in a very uh, audio wise. It's an yeah. audio. It's an audio carnival of all kinds of uh, yeah. ideas. And yeah. like I was going to say, with my hands like this, I did one song uh, uh, with my fingers plucking the strings of the piano. Yeah. I didn't play the keys. I just plucked strings and it's called the empire of light. Okay. And, and Ron Collins was on the Hammond organ. I would do some plucking. Yeah. And then he would, he would uh, do his little riff to complement what I just plucked. Yeah. And then Smitty and Drake were in the sound. Uh, were in the studio on the, on the council, on the mixer, and they were doing uh, special effects, echo, repeat, mm. You know, and and they were playing with a board and creating uh, sound effects while we're doing this. The two of it it was all live at one take, but it's called the Empire of Light, which was the name of a painting by Rene Magritte. I don't know if you ever heard of Magritte, but he was pretty popular back in the 60s. Rene Magritte. And he had he had a, a painting called the Empire of Light. So I decided to call it that. But this this album, man, was was far out. I'm wondering. And, I don't know. You, do you know who Andrew Sandoval is? He's been like the Monkees tour manager, and he's written a book about him. And uh, his, his name produced, sounds really familiar. He, he has a podcast himself, and it's called Welcome to the Sunshine. And he tends to play more psychedelic music by different artists. Like he's he's done episodes where he's done the psychedelic albums of the Four Seasons and and of your. You're the person you played with, Ricky Nelson. He did a couple psychedelic albums. So I'm wondering if he did a Brotherhood episode or at least played well, some. Wait, what do you mean? He he made the record psychedelic. No, no, no. He 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 does a. It's a podcast called Welcome to the Sunshine. He plays like DJ, and he'll talk about records. Yeah. And they're usually psychedelic records. So I'm wondering if he's played brotherhood on his show i'll have to well check that out. how did how did ricky nelson ever do anything psychedelic? ricky nelson actually did a psychedelic album in the late 60s 
You didn't I was, know this? I, I was his bass player. Well, then you, yeah, because I was, it was, I was hired. It was weird. I was, was hired like, in this. Yeah, I, I was yeah. part of the Stone so Candy. Probably on band. it, you know. But it's like he, he just um, played. He just played. I'm walking and traveling, man, and yeah. uh, it's so um, easy to be but free. It, it was weird because a lot of groups tried at least one psychedelic album. I said the Four Seasons. You know, you know them from Big Girls Don't Cry, Sherry, and all that stuff. And then they do this weird ass psychedelic album, in the late '60s, and it's like you know, it's like I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. I, sorry about that, folks. I had to pick up my pick. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> the one that I loaned. No, Hendrix kept his pick. He kept it. You know, I was. I was Million dollars. I always look at pictures anyway. of him. Anyway, you know, when he's playing guitar, some of these photographs. If he's got, if he's holding on to this in his, in his. Uh, yeah, he's left. My, my point. My point of mentioning uh, the podcast is that they play different psychedelic tunes from different artists that even more obscure ones. And it's like, you know, I'll probably oh. like it when I hear. Well, he would love this. If he likes psychedelic. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> just just look at go. the cover. Ooh. <laughs> Joyride <laughs> friend sound. <laughs> Is that, look at that painting though, man. That's almost like after bathing at Baxter's, the uh, uh, third uh, Jefferson Airplane album in a certain respect, just kind of how it re- what it kind of reminds me of. Uh, but yeah, yeah. And, and look what the subtitle on the back calls it. <laughs> a musical, uh, musical free for all. It's kind of weird that RCA didn't know what to do with it, but RCA, I've kind of found this out on RCA that other than Elvis, they didn't really know how, and maybe Jefferson Starship, they didn't really yeah. know how to market people in in rock and roll music. <laughs> you know? right. you Until know, like right. the 80s or something when when they finally you know, got, you know, ur- Eurythmics and... Well, you know, I think I think they started getting hip to it in the late 60s and 70s yeah. because they realized the money is with the rockers. Yeah. Money is with the, the kids' music, you know. Uh, Andy Williams was good, but it's not the big money anymore. The right. money's all in rock and roll, <laughs> yeah. you know. And Tony Bennett had a nice long career until he was 95. Right. But they were the exception to the rule, yeah. you know. And uh, So um, before we kind of wrap up, I wanted to touch on a few things. So I mentioned Ricky Nelson. Did you get that gig with Ricky Nelson because your uncle appeared on Ozzy and Harriet? Is that how that worked, or is it just purely coincidental? Well, here's, here's a couple. <laughs> it's this. I don't think anything's coincidental, but uh, okay. <laughs> but you know, you could question me on that. Uh, but it did work out. Yeah. And we there was some connections here. Number one, my mother was the massage therapist for Ricky's mom, Harriet. <laughs> All right, that's an even stronger connection. So we used to, I used to go to, and they lived in Hollywood, not far away from uh, Sound Recorders, okay. where, okay. where where Eric the Norwegian was doing Paul McCartney, okay. and and so just up the hills there is the Harriet Nelson House, Ozzie and Harriet, and and Rick. So I'd come there, and occasionally I would go with my mom, and I, I was as a young boy, mm-hmm. and I'd see Rick or David walk through the living room or walk across the the room. And we'd say hi. Okay, that's early, early years, fifty. Mm-hmm. Okay, then we get into the sixties, and uh, my uncle Jack Wagner, mm-hmm. he was on the Ozzy and Harriet show, right? As the soda jerk, right? Okay, <laughs> and and so uh, so there's a second connection. Okay, and then Brotherhood 
Brotherhood was formed, and we needed a manager. And um, somehow, I, I wish I had the exact story or the premise. Somehow, we met Don Nelson, hmm. who was Ricky's uncle. Because I we used to go to Ricky's house yeah. and play pool or do this. Or, so another he's, connection. So he's Ozzy's brother. My Ozzie's parents. Brother. My yeah. parents used to uh, live in the in the beach house that was owned uh-huh. by Ozzy and Harriet, and they would they would allow you know Mimi, my mom, dad, who had lots of kids, to just take over the house for a couple of weeks and live on the beach as a vacation. So the the connection was real close. Harriet loved my mom, and somehow in the process of all these uh, things, we got to know the family, and I got to know Ricky because I would go up to his house, and uh, we would have like a little party. Mm. And I'm not sure how that happened, but it happened during the Brotherhood days. Mm-hmm. So uh, Don Nelson became the manager of Brotherhood. And he was a great guy. And he was played <laughs> flute. He played flute. He was a great musician. Yeah. He played flute on uh, some of our recordings in Brotherhood. So some of those flute solos, that's Don Nelson. Oh, okay. okay. The whole Nelson family is musical. I mean, you know, Harriet was a singer. Ozzy was band leader, you know, and he could play a few different instruments and things like that. And, oh, yeah. You know, so, it was and a then, musical family. Yeah. I think, I think Ozzy was a band leader. Yeah, he was. Yeah. A big band leader, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of music there. And um, so because I had a close relationship with Don, mm-hmm. uh, and then when the Brotherhood broke up, that meant that Don never didn't have a job anymore mm-hmm. as managing the Brotherhood because we were finished. Mm-hmm. Our contract was over with RCA Victor. The band folded. Mm-hmm. And the next minute, the next second, I get a call from Don. <laughs> I, he said, Phil... You won't believe this. How would you like to play bass with Ricky? Mm. The Stone Canyon Band? Yeah. He's going on tour, and his bass player is leaving. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I said, who's his bass player? He said, Randy Meisner. <laughs> One of the founders of the Eagles. Right. You know, it was Glenn Fry, Don Henley, Randy Meisner, and one other cat. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it was Don Felder. Felder or, I think it was Felder, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Randy Meisner left Ray, uh, Ricky to mm-hmm. uh, to uh, go and start a band called the Eagles. Well, that's, yeah. that's nice. He mm-hmm. was a great player, great high singer, had a great high voice. Mm-hmm. So I had to take some of his parts, you know, uh, challenging <laughs> as they were. I was able to do it. And when I went to the first rehearsal with Ricky, I had already studied all his music for a couple of weeks and learned everything, all the vocal parts, all the bass part. So when we got to rehearsal, uh, Ricky was concerned that I'd be able to fill the bill that quickly, hmm. you know, because we were going on tour and he was nervous about getting the band tight. So he said, Phil, what do you want to do? I said, call anything. He said, anything, <laughs> any song you want. He said, okay, let's do, uh, I'm walking uh, a traveling man or uh, whatever, lonesome town. And um, he counted off and I was there. Boom, 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 boom. You know, and we finished the song. I did the background vocals and he, he looked at me and said, wow, man, that is amazing. And, and then he said, I guess, I guess the saying is true. Every man can be replaced. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So 
we had one rehearsal and we went right on the road because I knew all the tunes, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, I also have a nice photograph. Oh, it's in the booklet. <laughs> it's in one of these booklets. Uh, why would it be in the booklet? Because I did something related to uh, Ricky Nelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What was it that was related to Ricky Nelson? I think he did one of his songs, I thought, but I could be did, wrong. Did I do a tune of his? Here it is, right here. Yeah. Um, if you if you look at this lower picture right here, that's oh. Ricky. That's Ricky Nelson on the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's, that's Chris Harmon, the girl in the middle, and that's me. Mm-hmm. And I'm wearing like a Nehru jacket. That's, <laughs> I guess I can't get any better focus on that. That's okay. But that's Ricky. It's a reason to buy this CD. You can see that in focus. Yeah, you can see it. <laughs> uh, so uh, he came to our album release party. We finally got an album finished with RCA Victor, mm-hmm. and we had developed a relationship with Ricky do, based on Don Nelson keeping him in the loop. Mm-hmm. And we would go up to his house and have a little party and, and, play, uh, and play games, play pool or whatever and um so he's in he's there's a picture of him in my album uh and the reason i'm bringing this up is why why am i bringing this up i forgot i forgot the theme of what we were talking about oh just uh ricky nelson in general you you know why you put oh yeah yeah i yeah i replaced randy meisner we want to go on the road have a great time on the road just really nice Mm -hmm. and uh all the people loved it right <laughs> but at the end of the at the end of this show at every club the stage manager would come backstage and he'd say hey rick here's some letters from the audience i they wanted me to bring back to you <laughs> so rick would say thanks and he looked at him and say oh phil this one's for you this one's for you too <laughs> This one's for you. <laughs> and oh, this one's for you. I didn't get any. What's the deal here? I said, well, you know, I, I used to have a I used to tour the country a lot, so I have a I told a lot of my friends to come and see the show, mm-hmm. you know, and I got in t- contact with some of my church members that live in these various towns, you know, and they came to the show. You know, <laughs> and fe- lo and behold. Uh, that that started to become a bone of contention. Wow! That, that I was getting more letters from the audience than than uh, than Ricky. Who the sunk? <laughs> wow! <laughs> so uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of wild, and I, I I will I will put this in the interview, and if you want to edit, that's your call. Okay. Well, but uh, let me just say this quickly. Okay. Uh, Tina and I started to study the Bible in the late sixties with Jehovah's witnesses. Okay. And we, we had a comprehensive study of the Bible with the witnesses and we decided this was the way we wanted to go. And there's, there's an international brotherhood there that no matter where you go, you're going to find people, witnesses all over the country. So the first thing I do when I get to town with Ricky, I call the kingdom hall. I said, hi, I'm Phil Volk. I live in uh, Vegas, and I'm, I'm in town doing a gig at the uh, nightclub here, whatever it's called, and I'd love to meet some of the brothers and sisters from the congregation here. 
they all show up. You know, <laughs> 10 or 15 witnesses would show up at the club, and they were the ones writing the notes to me. Oh, and wow. I thought, okay. and so afterwards they say, hey, can we take you out to dinner? Can we show you around the area? So every time I went to, I had people uh, courting me here, taking me there, showing me the sites, taking me to the beach, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I had a built-in family, and right, that right. really impressed me. I wasn't even baptized yet. I, I was studying, and I thought, well, this, this looks like the right way to go. I like, mm-hmm. I like, this, I like this religion. I like these people. Mm-hmm. So, so they all showed up at the gigs, and that's what ticked off Ricky, uh, that I did, he didn't get hardly any letters, and I was getting most of the letters yeah, because yeah. my witness friends were writing letters to me right. after they saw the gig. So as time goes on, it became one of the things, it became became the straw that broke the camel's back. Hmm. Uh, I won't tell you the rest of it because it's it's kind of elongated. But uh, we had a difference of opinion, a difference of uh, ethics, a difference Mm -hmm. of philosophical beliefs, religious beliefs, and they fired me. Wow. Well, the whole story I know is on your website because that's where I saw it, and it talks about what differences you had and things like that on there. So, oh, yeah, did it, it talked about the troubadour? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was it was a weird situation because I know he loved my bass playing. Yeah. So when the manager called the night after the day after the troubadour get, he says you're fired from Ricky Nelson's band. I said why? He says he doesn't think you're a good enough bass player. <laughs> I said, well, that's a lot of BS. <laughs> I, I, I said a stronger word than that. And uh-huh. I said, Ricky has complimented me from day one about my bass playing. Yeah. And, and, and he, he says he couldn't believe I could play all those complicated lines and yeah. sing lead at the same time. I know he likes my bass playing. My first rehearsal with Ricky, he said, wow, I guess every man can be replaced. You're mm-hmm. fantastic. I'm glad you know all my tunes and all the background vocals, you know. Yeah. This is going to be a little bit easier than I thought. So I know I had his vote of confidence with my playing. Yeah. But because there was a religious uh, uh, factor that came into the picture, you know, it divides right. people. That's too bad, you know. Right. Because religions can be divided, just like in World War II. Yeah. The Catholics in Europe killed the Catholics in the United States. You know, they were warring against each other. And they're in the same religion, you know. Right. And that's why a lot of people <laughs> were turned off uh, with religion. Yeah. Because it should it should promote peace and unity. Mm-hmm. So that's my sermonette for the day. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and we'll leave it in. I don't usually cut unless it's something like. Well, uh, it's real. Uh, you know, anyway. it's real. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I've, been, I've been I've uh, been one of Jehovah's Witnesses for uh, yeah. 50, 52 years. I was baptized in nineteen seventy, mm-hmm. which was the year I toured with Ricky. Ah, okay. After I got home, <laughs> yeah. I got home that summer. I got baptized. My mm-hmm. wife and I were both baptized. My wife Tina Mason. Uh, you, uh, do you know about Tina? Well, you met her on where the action is. She was, on yeah, that she show. was, the, she was the singer. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I have to show you one thing. Okay. I'm coming back. Okay. <laughs> can you still hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> I'm coming back, mama. <laughs> That's I just, That's I just, <laughs> I just want to pay tribute to, to one of the most beautiful girls in the world. Hey. There there's there's early there's nice photos of her in the booklets and the uh CD oh yeah on the rocker cd yeah, yeah. And she sings see... back she sings backing vocals on there yeah too, if you so, want to yeah. see uh not only see pictures of tina but she sings she sings about four 
solos of her yeah. own yeah. on the record. She was sings Will You Love Me Tomorrow, which is, oh, my God. Yeah. And a few originals, and she sings a, a Delbert McClintock uh, song called You're Gonna Get What's Coming. <laughs> Great little rocker. And uh, so there's my darling. We lost her eight months ago. Hmm. Uh, it, it was the greatest pain I've ever experienced, losing her. Mm-hmm. And we were married 50, 54 years. Wow. So life, life uh, goes on. Uh, fortunately, with my Bible foundation, mm-hmm. I do have a hope for the future, mm. you know, because we believe in a, a coming paradise earth right. where, where people will be, be brought back mm-hmm. to life, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll be able to see those we lost and be reunited. So mm-hmm. it's nice that uh, Jesus gave us that hope. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I don't know what your beliefs are, but I don't want to interfere with uh, <laughs> what you're all about you know i do believe in god and i i call myself a christian um i'm there not a witness but i don't i don't go my my religion yeah. is better than yours and all yeah. that stuff i don't everybody has to make up yeah. their own mind yeah. it's a personal yeah. decision yeah. and uh you know god will bring you in yeah if, if you're a good person if you're trying to live right if you're trying to show kindness to people and love yeah. and you're yeah. honest you know god will bring you along he'll right. show you the way yeah. No, he'll show you the path. You yeah. just got to trust in God. Yeah. You know? So, uh, wow, we got into religion, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Is anybody still out there? <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's 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 good it's, that it's real. I'm glad yeah, that it's yeah. real. I'm, I'm glad this is not just a watered down. Uh, well, I fuzzy. didn't want it that way. I mean, you kind of uh, before we started, you know, when when you finally uh, answered uh, the email, Charles Rosenay says, you know, contact this guy. He has lots of good stories and everything. And I go, okay. And then there's a long wait time. But when you finally contacted me, you just kind of said, do your homework know what you're talking about so i knew a lot of the things that you talked about ahead of time which is fine because you know it made for a more interesting interview and let instead of me just going uh you're the writers is that it yeah (laughs) believe me i've done interviews with guys that have no idea what they're doing yeah and they don't they don't have the questions uh you know remember a guy named charles bartley yeah he had yeah. a he had a, reg, a regular syndicated radio show. Yeah, yeah. And he, he did an interview with me, and he sent me questions. Uh huh. And then we we uh, you know we I guess we did the live interview and we did the questions. Uh, I don't. It, it, it's just like it was nice to have someone do their homework. Yeah. And know what kind of questions to yeah. ask. Yeah. Because that and you're doing a great job. I mean, you Thank you you well. you're ready for this. I just hope you can fit some music into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, you know we talked we, about, you know, a little, a few cues here and there that I can add a track or two. And then, yeah. you know, I wanted to finish up because we've been talking about it. So, you know, your latest album, um, you've done an, a few Fang in the Gang albums, or is this like your first one or what's the story? Uh, on, this, on this, this is the, this is the first one. Okay, so that's the one you mentioned earlier. Uh, it's, yeah. it's called Fang Reveres the Raiders. Okay. Now, I had to use that phraseology so I wouldn't get sued by using right. Revere and Raiders. So the word Reveres means to pay tribute right. because it's Reveres with an S. That's a very good, clever <laughs> and, title. Uh, and Paul said, hey, Phil, that was real clever. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't sue you for using Revere <laughs> and Raiders all in the same sentence. <laughs> well, I know I don't want to go into all the detail about that, but I mean, 
at this point, I mean, Grand, many of the Raiders have passed on and stuff like that. But I mean, over the years, you did a few reunions and stuff like that. So did you mend all the fences and everything? So when Well, you were, yes. You know, Paul, you know. Paul and I have always loved each other. Okay. Paul and I have always been close. Mm-hmm. And uh, a year before he passed away, I went up to Idaho to his cabin up in the mountains with, with Sydney, his wife. And I videotaped him telling the story about the early Raiders and those early days and how it all happened, how he got in music, how he got into a rock band and how he ended up having his own band called the downbeats and how he, how he brought Mark Lindsay in later. Mark Lindsay always uh, he takes credit for being a co-founder, yeah. but, but Paul Revere did this on his own. And he later brought Mark into the loop and even helped uh, Mark learn how to play saxophone. Wow. He would sit at the piano and say, okay, hit this note, find this note on your sax. So Mark would go, uh, that's the one. Okay, remember that. That's a C. And, and they would learn. He learned how to play sax by Paul playing the notes on the piano and Mark finding out what they were. And then he would know what the fingering was, you know. Wow. <laughs> And so eventually he became one of the best. And I, I, I say this in all sincerity, he became one of the best saxophone players in the 60s. He had a great tone. It was real edgy. He had that growl. And it was great rock and roll sax. The best, the best rock sax player, I think, in the business, Mark Lindsay. And I give him that because he was. And he had to play a lot of sax in those early days mm-hmm. when he played more sax than he did vocals. And eventually they gave more vocals and more. And pretty soon, he became the, you know, the teen idol, you know, lead singer, front man. And he did it well. He did it good. He had the, the, he had the ego for it and he had the, the attitude and mm-hmm. he, he, he established his own style as a front man. You know, it was uniquely his. And I, I admire him. You know, I'm just sorry they didn't give me that one single in my community. Right. When Terry wanted to put it out as an A side. So <laughs> it actually ended up on the B side of the record. Because right, right. Terry said, okay, Paul, we'll put out Great Airplane Strike as the A-side, but if it starts to falter on the radio, I'm going to flip it and flip tell it, people yeah. to, to start promoting uh, in my community. <laughs> and I thought, oh, fail, fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it, uh, I think Great Airplane Strike went to about number 20. Yeah. And it, it's too bad uh, in my community you didn't make it onto the greatest hits album because the great airplane strike is on the album and it's like it'd be nice to have both sides of the single. But uh, uh, well, believe it or not, uh, in my community has made it on several greatest hit compilations. Well, yeah, I know later on, but I mean the, but, origi- but the, one the you, original, the, yeah, yeah, the one yeah, you the, showed yeah, me. Yeah. No, it didn't. It didn't. It yeah, didn't. I know there's that. the essential and all the other ones. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, more tracks and oh there's like so that. many yeah, compilations yeah, yeah, out yeah. there and they uh-huh. usually always include my songs in yeah, my yeah. community why 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 yeah. and get it on yeah. and i'm thinking that's great you know yeah. so uh you know that's uh that's been more money for me because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i own those, still get royalties I, on that yeah, yeah I, I own those i own the copyrights on those that's good, that's good. and i still get uh, my performance royalties on the tunes i didn't write Okay. You know, uh, just speaking of our music, uh, the very famous Hollywood director, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. He put out a movie the last couple oh, yeah. of years called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And guess how many Raiders songs he used in the movie? Oh, four. I was going to say three. Wow. <laughs> he, did, he used Good Thing. Right. 
Hungry, yeah. Mr. Sun, Mr. Moon, and Happening 68. Well, oh, I, yeah. I was yeah. I was in yeah, on, yeah, on those two. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was in on Good Thing and um, and Hungry. Yeah. In fact, I'm one of the writers on Hungry, but Terry Melcher, that bum, he never put my name on the songwriter's contract, so I oh. never got credit. And I've been fighting Mark all these years trying to get him to fix it for me. He never has. Mm. And and so it's like, wow, that's that song, by the way, you know, this was movie was about Sharon Tate. Right. Who was living in the house that Terry Melcher subleased to her. Mark and Terry were living in that house. Our manager, Roger Hart, first got the house. Yeah. It's on that Cielo Drive. Right. It was featured in the movie, uh, movie, and they always referred to it as Terry's house. Right. They're talking about Terry Melcher. Right. And, and they even show Manson coming to the door and talking to Sharon Tate. Well, the true story was he kept showing up. Terry and Mark got creeped out with him. And they moved out of the house and rented it to uh, Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, right? Right. So now in the movie, they show Manson coming to the house. And he's saying, hey, is Terry here? And she says, oh, no, he doesn't live here anymore. Mm. Well, that was what the movie did. You yeah, know, yeah. kind of Tarantino rewrote some history here. Yeah, well, of course. The fact of the matter is Manson was very angry with Sharon Tate. And he says to her, I think you're lying. Because I've, I've seen him here many times. No, he moved out and he leaves the house to me. And if you don't leave, Sharon Tate says, I'm going to call the police. Well, that pissed off Manson. And guess mm. what? Mm. Two nights or three nights later, the, the, the kill squad was there wow. killing everybody in that house Crazy. because Manson was uh, humiliated. And he didn't like being sent away that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they don't show that in the movie. Well, but, he's fictionalized a lot of things. I mean, well, he rewrote yeah. he rewrote history. I mean, a lot of people complain about Lee. I wish yeah, wasn't that funny? Yeah, I think it's funny, but uh, you know, a lot of people say Bruce Lee wouldn't have accepted that. Or, you know, it's, it's fictionalized. Okay? That was one of that was one of the funniest scenes. Yeah, in have, have a sense of humor. It's like yeah, yeah. and you like, know, Brad Pitt won the uh, Golden Globe Award for that. And I think he won the Oscar, yeah. didn't he, for Best Supporting Actor? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he it's it, a great it, soundtrack, it, and yeah, it, you know, it, it it did make me, you know, I was already a Raiders fan, but it just reignited that, and I think that was the whole purpose of it. Because, oh, you know, and, you, know yeah. uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino yeah. loves the Raiders. Yeah, yeah, he loves that music, and <laughs> yeah. and the fact that he wrote that movie surrounding Sharon Tate's life and the house on Cielo Drive. They have since tore the house down. Yeah, you know, because uh, it has a pretty bad past. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would want to move into that. <laughs> so, but that's where we used to live, and and, and listen to our our uh, acetates after recording mm-hmm. session. We go back up to Terry's house, and he had a big PA system, mm-hmm. and we listen to our music. Probably get stoned a little bit, mm-hmm. and it was it was quite a quite a lifestyle, you mm-hmm. know. But then this other stuff happened, yeah. and just oh, all hell broke loose. It was a terrible, terrible thing. But yeah. the movie itself. Uh, was was fascinating, yes. Because it, it it was Sharon Tate was kind of a subplot. Yeah, she was just the neighbor of Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Who was a who was an actor who was starting to slip, you know? It, right. His, his right. Uh, what his his charm okay. his 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 fame was starting. He was starting to slip a little bit, yeah. and it was driving him crazy. Yeah. But he wasn't getting all the good jobs he wanted to get, yeah. and it was you kind know, of it, a 
take on Clint Eastwood's early career. You know, he had Rawhide and then had to make the Spaghetti Western. So it was kind of yeah, like yeah, in that yeah. Vein. Great movie, and yeah, yeah. I just got a record royalty from uh, from the soundtrack, and boy, was right. I happy to get that. <laughs> it was one of the biggest royalties I've ever gotten. Wow. So yeah. it, there was benefits being in the Raiders. <laughs> Oh, I, I love being the Raiders. I, I got to no, tell no, you, no. I still feel I'm heartbroken. Being sarcastic, but yeah. Paul Revere, Paul Revere was so heartbroken that we were leaving the band. Yeah. Because he had just booked another tour and he'd invested in it with his own money because uh, uh, he, was, he, was, he was doing so. The band was so hot on a national level that he figured if he it promoted his own tour and invested in it, it could make a whole lot more money. But but the original guys were not going to be there. Wow. <laughs> and it, it drove him nuts. He freaked out. He, uh, when he called Roger Hart that night, their manager, Roger, mm-hmm. and, he, and, and Paul said, the guys are quitting the band. Fang, Drake, and Smitty just came to my room and said they're leaving. And he broke down, and he started to weep yeah. uh, on the phone with Roger. And when I heard, when Roger told me that story, I thought, because I really loved Paul. Yeah. He gave me the biggest break in my life, musically yeah. speaking, you know. And he was a great guy. Uh, he, he taught me a lot about everything, about yeah. everything. He, was, he, was, he really had a lot of wisdom. I'm you glad know. you all were able to make amends and stuff later on instead of, you know. We were always yeah. good friends. We had, a little, we had a little dark period there after right. Brotherhood, <laughs> after we left the period. You know, but then we, I started going to his gigs here in Vegas, and I would see him, and yeah. we, we got back on, on track with each other because he was still making good money, mm-hmm. and he loved, you know, being in the band and everything, having his own band, the Raiders, you know, even though they didn't have any originals anymore. Right, you know? right. But Paul became kind of the front guy. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen his most recent show before he passed. Paul became the center uh, uh, focus of, of uh, attention. He became the central figure mm-hmm. on stage. He had a lead singer that did the Mark Lindsay songs right. and danced around and tried to do the front man thing. But between each song, Paul would do comedy. Mm. He would do comedy bits yeah. and crazy stuff. He had a gun. He would fire a gun and, and he, had a, <laughs> he, had a, he had a monkey, had a monkey on his piano playing the cymbals. Yeah. And he, he would cut all kinds of jokes. Yeah. You know, they were wearing those tights. He says, this is what the tights look like. He had a, he had a, the front of a, of a, either a Mustang or an Etzel and inside the Etzel or the Mustang was his keyboards and all these props. Hmm. And he said, "You know what these tights look like before we put them on." And he pulls out a little, a little thing that would would, would fit a baby doll. He says they're this small. We have to really stretch them to get them on. You know, just a little. And he had a lot of visual jokes, and he had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, double entendres and right, right. and just good punchlines to things. And he would get he would get a great laugh. And so he became the show, and the songs were just the glue to go from one joke to the next, you know, they'd play a song. He'd uh, make some more jokes and talk a little more and, and do funny things, funny props, work yeah. with the audience, work with his guys. Then they do another Raiders song. So it was a very, it was a lot, lot of fun. 
You well, know, it sounds like what the turtles did later on too. You know, or really, you know, you know, Mark and Howard. You know, they do comedy bits, but then they'd sing their hits, and then they, you know, do little. Yeah, well, that's that was the Happy yeah. Together tour. Yeah, that type of stuff. And Mark know? Lindsay went out with them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I think Mark Lindsay has retired. Yeah, he, he's he just turned eighty. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not that old yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, he's I, apparently there's some some health some health issues that he's dealing with. Yeah, you know, and we and we just lost Keith Allison right uh, in November of last year, mm-hmm. uh, and his his memorial is this April third, which I'm planning on going to. But mm-hmm. it's a shame we lost Billy Henshey, Keith Allison, uh, right. other people in the entertainment field. It, it's just we're getting to be that it's age that time, yeah, yeah, that time in our life yeah, where we're yeah. gonna have to say goodbye to a lot of different friends and stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here for, at least for the nonce. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you, God. You know, I'm, I'm glad I'm here. I'm very thankful. Uh, I've had a very exciting, interesting life. Yeah. And having that experience as a Raider was probably one of the great blessings I could ever have as a musician, uh, a kid that dreams about being a recording artist. I had all those dreams fulfilled and it just doesn't get better. Then I married this wonderful girl tina who was a singer and we had bands together all through our life mm-hmm. you know fang and the gang friendship train mm-hmm. and it was just it was magical you know i can't complain mm-hmm. except i hate not having her here you know okay well um sorry for that for that loss but at least you did have a long lengthy relationship which sounds like it was a really good relationship it's fantastic yeah. Yeah. it was great and we were so much in love. We were married 54 years. Yeah. We had great chemistry, great compatibility and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we had four kids. Mm-hmm. We raised four kids, two girls, two boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so glad I was able to put some of her solos on this album. Mm-hmm. She does about four or five solos mm-hmm. on this that I featured her on. And I never had an opportunity or a project to put those songs on an album. So but she already had those recorded. Oh, yeah. The, yeah a lot okay. of this stuff was in the yeah. can. Okay. That's okay. why it says up here, this represents five decades of recording history right. of Vogue plus special guest artists. I just thought it was because you were doing some oldies and stuff like that. I didn't realize yeah. that. I didn't want to call it an anthology, but that's what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. a biographical anthology yeah. based on the liner notes, mm-hmm. and it, it contains 39 songs, yeah. right? Yeah. 39 songs, two discs. And 22 of those songs are originals that I wrote. Yeah. And 17 are covers. Right. You know? And no, so it's, a, it's a good blend. It's a good blend. I don't, don't take this as a negative, but I didn't really know your singing prior to this. But when I listened to this album, I just was amazed that you sound a lot like Eric Burden of the Animals. And I thought that's really good, you know? So, yeah. you know, I hope you. Take that no, 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 no. Way, I, you know? That's that's why I did "Baby, Please Don't Go" and, yeah, and I'm yeah. crying on yeah. the "Just Like Us" album because yeah. uh, Paul and Terry Melcher said, "Man, you kind of sound a little bit like yeah. Van Morrison." A little yeah, cross yeah. between Van Morrison and Eric Burden, and yeah. and you have the great voice for okay. these songs. And so I went with it. You know, <laughs> I I decided, uh, okay, good. I can fill that slot because it's different than Mark. Yeah, and the the more different we sounded, the better. Yeah, you know. So they would never confuse my voice with his. 
So, yeah. and then one other thing on this album is that you have you're kind of promoting uh, this younger talent named Kelly J on there. You know, how did that come about? And she's kind of a country singer or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I, uh, I had a I had a, a friend who did a lot of sound mixing on some of our gigs. Uh, we had been friends for some time. He also would do some sound uh, mixing for this girl, Kelly J, in Colorado, and he got real close to the family, and they wanted this girl to become famous. They wanted her to be produced by the right guy. Right. And so uh, uh, James, J- James, yeah, James, the friend of them, the sound man, said, Phil, you got to meet this Kelly J. She needs a good producer, and you're such a good producer. Why don't, why don't you listen to her and see if you can do something with her? She's really ready to go. She's beautiful. And she is a very pretty girl. Mm-hmm. And she has a great voice. But she was singing old country, and she was singing kind of nasal. Mm. You know, that, that country nasal thing that I... Willie Nelson. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, maybe I didn't love you quite as good as I could have. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Kelly, you got to get out of you got to get out, out of the nose. nose. You got to get out of your nose. And give me some chest. Give me some throat. You know. Yeah. And so I got her to do that, and we did. I said, I'm going to give you a couple of pop tunes, and we're going to turn them into country tunes. And so we did uh, "Faithfully" by Journey, kind of a country version. We did "Just Like a Woman," written by Bob Dylan, yep. and we did a Vince Gill tune called "I'm Almost Ready." And she killed it. And I got her to use that full voice. And I got her to get the voice in her chest again and get it out of her nose. <laughs> and and she, if anybody gets this album, you're going to see Kelly J. And she's a beautiful girl. You know, she's really quite a beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. Let me show you. Um, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. There's again, Kelly. You want crystal clear pictures you know buy the album <laughs> yeah uh, yeah if you want to see kelly j and hear her uh and so her father she's very her good father was kind of, what she's very good okay. thank you thank you. i'm glad you noticed that her mm-hmm. father uh, footed the bill mm-hmm. uh for all the recording studio and all the work and kelly came to my house for a couple of weeks and we rehearsed with some of the, the musicians mm-hmm. then we go into the studio and recorded it at one of the best studios here in town. Great engineers. And you can see the sound is really, really crystal clear and very bright, really punchy. Yeah. So this, uh, the mixing on uh, those tunes are really perfect. In mm-hmm. fact, when they, when they mastered the album, you know, every album, every CD has to be mastered. So all the tunes kind of have a similar audio presence, right. you know. And so I said, use... Kelly J's song as a sample of how I want the rest of the songs to sound. The EQ, the punch, the brightness, the brilliance, those songs are already done, you know. Just listen to those. And 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 so the guy who mastered it did that, and he, he made sure all the sounds kind of were compatible audio-wise, audio wise, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm glad you liked her. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I don't think any girl has ever recorded uh, Just Like a Woman <laughs> at Bob Dylan. And we thought we thought that really could be a hit, you know, because it's unusual mm-hmm. to hear a Dylan song by a woman, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, unfortunately, things didn't pan out. I couldn't get her signed. I tried and tried to get her signed. But, you know, this music business is not an easy business. Right. You know, and I was fortunate to have gotten into it early in life 
and been with a successful band, have Dick Clark involved with us. Paul Revere was a great businessman. And we just finagled our way up to the top, you know, <laughs> with our talent and with our energy and with our determination. And we were just fortunate that all the pieces fell into place, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but, you know, trying to get her signed, no matter how good she looked, she was a good-looking woman, great voice. The record labels were tough to deal with, mm. you know. And that was, um, see, when did I do her? 2007, 2008? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's long ago, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the music business had morphed into something I didn't even recognize, you yeah. know. And I talked to a lot of executives. And they said they really liked the music, mm-hmm. but they didn't have a place for her on the label. Interesting. Hmm. Just sad, you know. <laughs> but I don't want to end the interview on that story. No. Well, I know how I usually end my interviews. It's usually uh, I give you the floor, the guests the floor. And if you're going on tour, where can we see you? Or if you're appearing at conventions or something like that, uh, or if there's a way to contact you, website, promoting an album, take it away <laughs> okay well like i said the the album is available on my website philfangvoke.com philfangvoke.com Voke is spelled v-o-l-k like volkswagen and, and that's where all my products are all my albums that, that album's on it and this album's on it and uh we announce i have a facebook page too where i announce uh some of my happenings I, i'm going back up to portland oregon to play some gigs this spring up there because that's just a good place for me. I just, I just did a gig there uh, in September of 2021, about four months ago. Mm-hmm. And I played with the Kingsmen, you know, the guys had the Louie Louie hit. Wow. First time the Raiders. <laughs> but we're all friends. We love each yeah, other. Yeah. yeah. Un- unfortunately, their lead guitar player, Mike Mitchell died. Mm-hmm. And so this concert was kind of a tribute mm-hmm. to Mike Mitchell. So me and Harpo, uh, went there and did a few Raider songs in the middle of their set as special guests. And they had a whole bunch of other guests. They had one guy from the Romantics, and they had another girl who had played uh, for Michael Jackson in the studio on guitar. They, they, were, they were some really good players. And uh, Harpo and I thought, hey, this is working. The crowd loved us. They all rushed to the front of the stage when we did our set, and they're out there waving their hands. They got their phones videotaping us and smiling. And I thought, well, if they like us that much, why don't we do more gigs? <laughs> and so it's possible that uh, the next time you hear from me, uh, I'll be telling you about some gigs we're doing up in the Northwest called uh, Fang and Harpo Raider Revival. Okay. Fang and Harpo Raider Revival. And that has a kind, of, kind of a good ring about it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Huh? You think it'll work? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Will you come? I will come. It's only a couple hours away. It's you live up there, yeah. you know. Yeah. We'll, probably get, we'll probably do some gigs in Portland and okay. maybe Seattle. And, uh, uh, you know, Harpo's got his own little band up there, which is a little different genre than what we do as rockers. But uh, he did this last gig with me uh, for the Mike Mitchell tribute concert, and we had fun. We had a blast. <laughs> and he still is healthy and looking good. He's a couple years older than me, but uh, we've always been compatible you know, <laughs> and it works. And so if you hear about Fang and Harpo coming to your town, <laughs> come on over and see us. All right. <laughs> and we'll rock, it. we'll rock your socks off. Okay. And uh, is there anything else that you'd like to promote? Any other albums you're working on? Or is it th- just right now promoting the rock? No, I mean, this, this, took, yeah. this took a few years. Okay. And, and then uh, 
you know, getting it printed and it's a, it's a double CD. So I paid everything. I, I, I financed it and paid it all. So we're still trying to promote this to get the sales up and, you know, pay, pay the bill. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Production I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you do play much material from those two CDs too, correct? In concert. Oh yeah, yeah, and I I'll do some of the big Raider hits in concert. Yeah, of course, I'll do yeah. some of my songs. I'll even do a couple of covers. I love "Wider Shade of Pale." I like uh, you know uh, "Summertime Blues," Lucille, you know, uh, "Little Richard." I cut my teeth on "Little Richard." Do we have any rock and rollers here tonight?
<laughs> so I like I like to throw in some of that old uh, classic rock and roll, the early rock days with Little Richard and mm-hmm. you know that that music that we had in the early '60s that was so fantastic and had so much energy and power. And it was it wasn't real complicated, you know, mm-hmm. like Summertime Blues is a great tune, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Wider Shade of Pale, great tune, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so uh, my band Fang and the Gang has done some gigs around here mm-hmm. and some music festivals. And I had my two daughters singing with me and my wife, Tina. Mm-hmm. And we played up till 2016 mm-hmm. with that setup. And we had, we had Jesse's Jessica's husband on drums and we had Kelly's husband on keyboards and my wife singing with the girls. So it was kind of a family band and it was really a, a beautiful experience mm-hmm. that we could go out together as a family and we did that zucchini festival up in, uh, you know, Fremont, <laughs> Hayward, Hayward, California, right outside of Oakland. Right. It's a real big festival. Yeah, they call it the zucchini is. festival because they have arts and crafts and everything. And and um, but the, the whole the whole thing that draws people are the artists that come there. Yeah. And and play. So we we were there and Bonnie Pointer was one of the acts. Oh, well. performed. And unfortunately, she's passed. Yeah. She came on stage with us and sat in and just really kicked butt. It was it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Tower of Power, you name it, all these great bands mm-hmm. uh, played at the Zucchini Festival. You know, <laughs> was, who's that percussionist? Sheila E. Oh, yeah. I've seen her with Ringo also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She 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 did a set. And, you know, there was always, always good music at the Zook Fest. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got the girls in my band, my daughters and my wife, and that was Fang of the Gang, mm-hmm. that version, that was their first gig. And oh. there was there 5,000 people out there. And here are my two girls just dancing and singing. Uh, no. <laughs> like, like, they, like they've been doing it all their life. Oh, wow. You know? So they're it's, in the, it's, it's in the genes. <laughs> yes. You know? They picked up the gene. I'm so proud of them. And, and my daughter, Jessie, also sings a solo on on the rocker album uh she does a brandy carlisle tune called the joke so uh i'm very proud of them i was very proud of what we accomplished as a family in music and i hope people get the cd because it's uh there's a real story there it's a a pretty interesting backstory to this whole thing and the music and and the storyline uh well i'm hoping i can keep the story going because I'm, i'm 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 ready to play i'm ready to do gigs well, I was very impressed with the album. I was, I'm very impressed with you, and I will definitely have to come up to Portland to see you when you're in town with Fang and Harpo. <laughs> Fang and Harpo, Raider Revival, baby. Yeah, uh, let's uh, uh, keep your eyes and ears open uh, for when we're around. I'll try to post it on Facebook. So uh, it was great talking with you, Mark. Thanks for giving me all this time. Thank you. Very and much I hope much. you can put this thing together. When, when do I get to see it? um probably at the beginning of april so that's where we're at okay can you after you have it edited and maybe you can throw a few songs in you know yeah please please try to throw one of tina's songs in that you like all right you know she does four solos i think on my rock route but she is so great
And uh, so anyway, uh, I'm I'm happy to have talked with you, and uh, this is a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. And uh, <laughs> well, I try to make our show fun. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, well, here we go. Here's my son Brian right over here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll wrap it up here. Uh, bring here, it back on yourself. He's, he's, okay. The reason I showed him is I have to give him credit because uh, he's my he's my tech guru. Who's behind he, you? There is somebody. Be, there is somebody behind you peeking around the curtain. Who's oh, I th- was that you? No, was it Eric. Yeah. Oh I'm my sorry. goodness! I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a yeah. dog. Well, she's well. His his father, Eric's father. Eric, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Just peek your head around one more time. Uh-huh. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. His father <laughs> uh, played guitar name? on some of those songs on Rocker. Oh wow! Like, like Lola Lee and All Over No Wonder. And we've been we've been childhood friends since we were five years old. Cool. And his his dad uh, is uh, in the hospital right now, so he came down a help out and you know try to see what he can do to help his dad get better right you know but he was, he plays that great guitar solo on all over no wonder that's the one that has the classical orchestra behind it very cool all over no wonder so okay. that might be, that might be a good one to play all right let's wrap this thing up and then we'll chat a little bit after we're off the air okay. right. um i want to thank you phil fang bulk for being my special guest it was lots of fun and that wraps it up for another fun ideas podcast Thank you very much, Mark. It was a thrill. I always enjoy talking about my history and music because it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great ride. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Phil Fang Volk, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 159 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night.